and welcome to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian, going over the series to see what age like fine strawberry wine and what age like milk. I'm Kit, I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Izzy, I use she, seer pronouns. You can find us and content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall related things at Abbey Archives on Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, and let's see, just to start off, um, there's a couple little notes I would like to include, including that we finally have an answer as to why the Redwallers mostly seem to eat only fish. We say finally as if this apparently wasn't an interview that happened ages ago and we just didn't do enough research. Right. <laughs> just <laughs> We don't do our research, so we let the fandom just like slowly ed- like scoot things towards us. So like... For anyone who's been listening to our podcast for however many episodes now, you can finally stop screaming at us. We finally know this. Um, apparently, when asked why the Redwall characters consume fish but not other animals, Brian Jakes replied, I decided to have a fish as Matthias's first triumph in Redwall. And then I just continued the tradition. No deep meaning. I just did. Which is honestly... All right, I'll take it. It's yeah, an answer. Valid. It's an answer. <laughs> valid uh, answer. I'll take it. Not related to this, but just a Redwall thing that happened to me. I was watching uh, Um Actually, which is a dropout show. Um, you know, the same like fate that does like Dimension 20 and Drawfee and stuff like that. Actually, uh, no, I have no idea what that is, but continue. You don't know what Drawfee is? Vaguely. Oh, well, Okay. You and I, we, we kind of, like, run along different circles of the internet sometimes. We do sometimes. This is shit that, like, Can got into, and then I just kind of tangentially started. Yeah. But anyway, so, like, I'm actually is a, is a show for, like, nerdy pedants, basically, where it's, like, the the <laughs> name of the game is the, the host will say something that's got <gasps> oh! some, something that is incorrect in the statement. And okay, the yeah. people have to buzz in like, um, actually, it's blood. It's hilarious. Yes, um, I, I know what you're talking about now. Yes, I have seen the gift sets and etc. They're very funny. Uh, This one, they had like a special question where they had to like list the like titles of books. And they had Redwall <laughs> as one of them. Oh, and, God. Like, two out of three people got it right. One person was like, I have no fucking clue what this is. Everybody pronounced Brian's name wrong. <laughs> That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> Everybody was like, Jake's, Jacques, Jacques. Jacques. Like, nobody Jacques could pronounce Kamenek. it right. I can just hear I Joe's was, voice echoing in the back of my head. It's Jacques Tabernac. I was just like, at the, um, like, you know, the other side of just like, it's Jake's. <laughs> anyway. That's just okay. my thing that I had. Like, Redwall popping up in a place where I didn't really expect to see it because it's not right. a common nerd thing, actually. Right. <laughs> it's like when I'm scrolling Tumblr sometimes and then I'll just like, I'll see like completely unrelated to Animorphs, but like a, a K.A. Applegate quote will pop up and I'm like, hey, I know her. <laughs> um, yeah, Animorphs and, and Redwall, they pop up in the most unexpected of places. Although Animorphs tends to pop up more. Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay. Also, since we're on the small note side tangents, um, my book, it's not like, it's not a new book, but it's a hard, it's a hard cover. It's like the first out of, I've only got two hard covers and Salamander Stroud is one of them. And reading it feels really weird 
Because, like, the pages are really crisp and white. And, like, the first, you know, four books that I've read were, like, the paperbacks where the pages were kind of starting to get a little yellow. And they're they're old library books, so they're a little mm -hmm. beat up. And now it's, like, I'm reading this Salamandastron book, which is, like, almost brand new. And, oh, shit, another shiny. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, it is Pokemon Go Community Day, if you can't tell, and I am over here catching Rag and Rolla, and this is my fourth shiny. Izzy's gonna kill me. Um, anyway. <laughs> but, um, like, I remember reading it and thinking, if these pages are this crisp, I don't know if that's a good or a bad sign. Because <laughs> generally, the more a book is loved, the more worn out it is. And the fact that this book isn't that worn out, it's just like, oh, is this a good or a bad sign? And like, the more I read the book, the more I'm like, oh, that was a bad sign. <laughs> well, it's also uh, depending on how acidic the paper is, if it's not paper yeah. meant specifically to keep like archival stuff. Right. Uh, it'll it'll, it'll faster. As, as it ages, it gets crispy. Yeah. Well, this, um, this one was printed, well... The first American edition published in 1993. Hey, that's the year I was born. Yeah, and this these pages look crisp. Like, I wouldn't like the quality of the pages. They're they're like very faintly yellowed, faintly. You have to look for it. But again, like you see more wear and tear, like along the dust cover and like along the top, and it looks like. I can definitely tell this book was owned probably by a kid or someone artistically inclined because there's these little marks of like color along the top here, which which looks like a bunch of my old books that I used to carry in my backpack because I'd also carry my colored pencil case uh -huh, uh -huh. in my backpack. So like all the colored pencil case chips would come out and they would like scuff up the top of the book. So it's just like, oh, somebody artistic had this book. So speaking of this book... Now that we're back on topic, sort of. Uh, today we are reading the first half of chapter, well, not chapter one, the first half of part one of Salamandastron from chapters one to chapters eight. I completely forgot to put the content warnings in here, but surprisingly, there's not very many in the first place. I would say potentially like potential threat from arrows. Uh, I'd say more bad stereotypes for people with um, less education, like the bad, like we're the stupid vermin, classism. Otherwise, there's not, like, there's not really any bodily harm in this first half of the book, except for some physical slapstick. Yeah, and there's I, I some there's it, some physical slapstick, and yeah. there's there's threats of violence. Yeah. Like, it's some pretty like, nasty ones, but, you know. It's, it's, it's literal slapstick. Oh, oh there is... <laughs> The literal beginning of the book, there is death. Yes. You, we there don't is, see what yeah. happened, but there is death and abandonment. Yes. So there is death and abandonment right off the bat. Um, so the speaking of the opening of the book, we open on an old dormouse and a young vole. The two are sharing a snack together under a rosy dawn sky. Where's Each enjoying the coming paws. spring. The rosy paws. I really do like this. Like, you can tell Brian is starting to get more comfortable writing in this world. Like you yes. mentioned later, we get like more world building with like him getting into more detail of like world specific things. Um, All the people who remember more things about the series than us being uh -huh. like, we know what the milk is. It's like, do we? Do we know what the milk is? <laughs> the we mouse... still don't know what the fuck the butter is. <laughs> 
Oi. The mouse muses that, well, it could be margarine. Nut butter. Nut butter. <laughs> Nut. Nut. <laughs> These nuts. Oh, God, I'm disowning <laughs> you. Um, the mouse muses that soon it will be time to name the coming spring. But the little mole doesn't care. He, Burham, had been promised a story. So the old mouse warns it'll take a good long time to tell. And they'd better get started. And I like this because right off we're getting a similar setup to Mossflower, how it's being told like as a memory and a tale. And it's like, is the is the writing style going to be similar to Mossflower? And it's kind of like a little bit. It kind of has a little bit of that feeling of it, but not as much. But I do really like it when Brian kicks the books off like this. Like he's telling a tale. That, that's what's going on. Yeah. Okay. We get a chilling introduction to the book's villain, Farago. And I uh, want to do a small side thing here. Brian coming against, coming in swinging. We finally get our first full-on weasel villain. We've had two rats, a cat, and a fox. And now we finally get a weasel who's getting the limelight. And I'm really excited to see the tropes that Brian's going to pull here, even if I know what they're going to be because it is a weasel character. But I'm excited to see how he uses them because already, um, like... Farago, who I also make a note, I am a I'm going to misspell his name so many times. And yeah. I don't think I actually did. I think I did okay. Yeah, you actually but, misspelled Earthstripe at one point because you forgot to put okay. the E on the end. Okay. But uh, Farago, the blue-eyed assassin weasel, he and his band ravage a badger's nest, stepping over the slain pair, Earthound and his wife, Earthund. Two badger kits are found hidden in some dried moss. One a proper striped badger, the other an albino, both male. When asked what he will do, Farago says he'll leave the winter to kill them. Now with the badger pair slain, Farago has none resisting him. He takes a gold medallion from the male badger as a prize, then sweeps out into the southwest to carry on his reign of cold, cruel killing. In the now cold den, the two badger babes cuddle the cooling body of their mother, begging for milk and comfort. And still, it wasn't as cold as Farago's smile. Which, again, is when I was like, ooh, Brian came out swinging with Farago. Yeah, there, like, there is a lot with this one. Uh, like, just like right out the gate. This isn't even chapter one. These are the two, these two bits are like the preamble to chapter yeah. one. Yeah, just the beginning. And like, it starts so strong, which is what kind of breaks my heart when we get later into the book. But it starts so You keep so saying strong. this, but honestly, like, I'm enjoying it so far. Well, good. I'm glad you are, and I want to hear your opinion on it. <laughs> you just know you know that there are certain tropes that I get meh about. Well, so. yeah, same. But, like, you yeah. were, like, uh, you messaged me before. You were, like, uh, this feels as bad as Madame Mayo, and I'm sitting here, like, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, I don't know how to describe it other than, like, the mental taste of the book is different. Like, Madame Mayo is, like, it's kind of, like, a plain white bread, whereas this is more, like, it's a white bread, but somebody threw some raisins in. <laughs> so it's like raisin bread. Um, anyway, many seasons later, we arrive at Salamandastron on a perfectly calm and pretty day. We meet a pensive badger lord, Earthstripe the Strong. And once again, Brian... has been mentioned in a previous book, I think, also. I think so, too. But Brian, 
went back on what he said in a previous book. I thought that they had said that the mountain had been carved into a forge. Like it wasn't a volcano, but it had been carved into a forge. Now we know that it had been a volcano and then was it hollowed out? And then they carved into a forge? Just me screaming at Brian. I, I know it's fantasy. I know it's fantasy, but I like geology. But it's also the, the, the way that legends and myths about places change over time. Yeah. I know. I'm just, yeah. It sounds I, <laughs> more fantastical to say that it was a volcano. Right. <laughs> take a shot for Kit yelling about Salamandastron. <laughs> <laughs> no, take two. <laughs> take a shot for Kit yelling about geology and geography. <laughs> his pensiveness is over his adoptive daughter, Mara, who'd been gone from home for two days. He worries that adopting her may not have been the right thing. Female badgers were rare at Salamandastron, usually a stronghold for male badger lords. But five years ago, his hairs had brought her in, tiny and alone. To which I responded with, how do badgers survive in this world where we only ever seem to be, there only seems to be like a handful at a time, and half of them are battle axe aces. <laughs> I, my response was just somewhere far, far to the south. It's just a warren of badgers who don't take no shit. They, they, they're the ones who just keep making all the wandering badgers who show up in the stories like, eh, no, I was don't making, worry about I was, I was making oh. a honey badger joke. <laughs> <laughs> far, far ah. to the south. If this is yes. supposed to be England, you know, far, far <laughs> to the south. In Africa, they're, you know, they got the honey badgers and they don't take no shit. God, could you imagine if like a honey badger or an American badger showed up in the story? <laughs> an American badger showing up just like scoffs at like the badger lords just like you want to see real fighting try going up against a bear <laughs> try going um, up against a wolverine right now between his duties and her growing up they'd grown apart because she's she bought... a, basically a fucking teenager uh-huh. it's like if you took uh, Ariel and Merida and like smashed them together into one character I think that's one reason that I, I have disliked the parts, this part so much, because she does remind me of that trope that I dislike deeply. Um, to be fair, she really hasn't had to do much to fend for herself. And mm-hmm. a badger lord who it knows the way that things are supposed to be happening in Salamandastron, that we've been told and shown in previous books, Salamandastron is a stronghold for a single badger, mm-hmm. typically a badger lord. Mm-hmm. Um not a badger lady and that's just the way it's supposed to be so when you bring this other badger in who is a child and the badger lord who is the type of badger like the reason that they go to salamandastron is because these badgers are more able like they they can be on their own they don't need other badgers and they typically don't won't get along as well with other badgers mm-hmm. because they're more prone to fighting exactly um, and so you bring this other badger into the mix and you're trying to raise her with kindness but also like you know she's a kid she's gonna test your boundaries mm-hmm. he's trying to prepare her too for what's out there and he's not doing speak- a good job of it because he doesn't mm-hmm. have anything to to like really base it off of besides what he remembers from his childhood but which he, he left... doesn't remember no but because he left that probably very young like mm-hmm. and i mean spoilers but he's one of the two badgers that we saw in the beginning of the story yeah 
Um, so Mara balked at the strict regimented way of life at Salamandastron. Against Earthstripe's wishes, she had taken off with her friend a hair named Pickle Folger. <laughs> wait, hold I've on. Only... Okay, wait. All of the Pickle all of the Folger. hairs are named after plants. Let me look up what the fuck this is. It's probably just a misspelling of a pickle. Or a Folger might actually be an actual one, but while you're looking that up. He dismays at this, seeing the hair as a wild, bad influence, keeping her from being a proper badger lady. So I have two notes on this. I've only heard Pickle's names, and I already hate him. Uh, the book is also attacking me and my poor spelling skills. Uh, and then the whole proper badger lady thing, I said, what feudalistic masculine nonsense is this? You're a fighting badger who raised her in a mountain of fighting hares, and you think she's going to be content just being a nice, sweet badger mum or recorder of legends? Like, of course she's going to have a wandering itch. Of course she's going to be like, I need to get out of here. It's like... If you try to beat her into something she's not ready to be, it's not going to end well. But did you find out what it was yet, Squirrel? I'm checking the Redwall wiki, okay. which, oh my god, every time. I'm pretty sure pickle is just a misspelling of, like, the Well, like, I'm going to figure it out. Because just Googling okay. pickle or Folger, like, Googling pickle didn't, it got me some blockchain nonsense. Ugh. And Googling Folger with the two Fs literally got me his Wikipedia page. <laughs> uh, and Googling his full name also only got me his, oh uh, my god. <laughs> For the love of fucking god, can we please get somebody in on the Wikipedia? This is, this is a call to action to people who actually fuck with the Wikipedia. One, can we please move away from using the fandom.com wikis because they're terrible and make like an actual like wikia for this? And two, can we please add that a bunch of the hares that live at Salamandistron are named after plants to the page as trivia? <laughs> ah! Let's so. check the World of Redwall page. That might actually have more to it. So... Earthstripe doesn't want to be the bully, so he unhappily keeps out of the way, and thus the rift grows. Sergeant Sapwood comes bobbing up and shadowboxing towards his lord. He asks if Earthstripe would be coming in to eat. He hadn't touched food since yesterday morning. Earthstripe dismisses the question, has Mara been seen yet? No, but Sapwood isn't worried. The pair will come home when they're good and hungry, and I'm like, she's with a hare. When are they not hungry? So... He asks that when she comes home, give her a good meal, then send her to him. Sapwood tries to shake him out of his doldrums, asking him to try and put one on his button. Earthstripe tries to say no, but Sapwood insists. The hare bops the badger's chin, and in a swift but carefully weakened swipe, he bops the hare back. And I like Sapwood, because like, I feel like Sapwood is like a middle-aged hare, so he's not like, he's not the old hares who are too pompous, and he's not the young hares who are too flighty. He's like that perfect little middle ground and he's in, he really, really cares for Earthstripe. Like he can tell he cares for him, not just because he's his badger lord, but because he's his friend, you know? Yeah. They're Worry, good. Also, yeah. I still cannot find anything on Pickle's name, so I think that he's just a weirdo. It's like I said, I stand by my thought that it's just a misspelling of Pickle. Which is, um, his name is Pickle Coffee. <laughs> Ew. Because the Folger is a coffee brand. Was it? Oh, yeah. It's an older series. It's an older brand. I know it is. Um, His name is Pickle Coffee. 
worried and constrained. Why would you name it Pickle Coffee? Did, okay, you keep Brian, saying, oh my Brian. god, did your parents hate you? Whose parents are yours, Pickle Coffee? I'm just going to state now that Brian decided to go for my throat with the names in this book. There are so many <laughs> names in this book where I'm just like, Brian, why? You know, um, in his lit- defense, at least one of those is the name of a flower. It is. It's just not one that I had ever heard before. I'm just like, what? <laughs> Come again, Brian? Um, worried and contrite, Earthstripe checks on him. Sapwood says he's just fine, but he is grateful Earthstripe doesn't fight with his full might or he'd have lost his head. The two head back inside and Earthstripe casts one last sad glance for his daughter over his shoulder. And like, I really like Earthstripe. I really, really like him as a character because like he wants so badly to be a good dad. He wants her to be happy. He really does. But just... Mm. He's not good at being a dad. He's not. This is like a, th- a, a common like trope in Redwall yeah. books. It's like when you have a dad with like a young rebellious teenager, you get the vibes it's like that, that thing where it's like, man, I wish they were still a baby. Right. It was Again, so much like, easier when they were still a baby. And it's like, I get that. That's like a common feeling that parents have. And Brian, at this point, was a parent. Yeah. Um, but, like, also... <laughs> and, like, I stand by what I said when I talk about, like, Mara is a combination of Ariel and Merida. You know, just, like, her attitude, the fact that she was raised by, like, a, a warrior-ish, kind of a, a king-ish, like, figure... Downside um, is that she doesn't have a mom, so she's more she like Ariel than mom. Merida. Yep, exactly. Um, I want to be where the vermin are. <laughs> I want to see you. Want to see you stabbing. <laughs> Speaking of the vermin, <laughs> further to the south, we encounter an older, bigger, and more confident than ever Farago. His bright, cheerful face hides the cruelty inside him, and I really like this. Like, we have had it emphasized many times out of that. Farago is handsome. He's even described as, like, pretty. He's a villain who, like, on the exterior, he looks friendly. He looks nice. He looks good. You like, know? I think so, like, every, oh. vil- every villain except for Sarmina so far mm-hmm. in the past has been described as, like, twisted in some way. Mm-hmm. It, like, some, like, all the features are ugly and yeah. sarmina or... was beautiful but her face like she mm-hmm. she like and not necessarily that her face was ugly, but she was constantly like angry and making like mm-hmm. quote-unquote ugly expressions but uh it's described by, like farago the more he smiles the more danger you're in mm-hmm. his crew his army oh of i found smithers. a misspelling of farago <laughs> Ah, uh, okay. You put Farago instead of Farago. Uh, well, I, I, I already warned you. You you knew it was coming. His crew, his army of corpse makers, are puzzled by his decision to move northward. But Farago rarely does anything without reason, so they trust to his wits and viciousness. They lounge in the heat of the day, with a few sentries being warned to wakefulness by Farago to keep an eye out for his son, Klitsch, and his friend, Gaffa. Though he often laughs, Farago rarely jokes. And I just I really like that line, so I had there, to make sure. Yeah, there is a lot in this as they're, like, describing Farago and everybody around him. Where it mm. is just, like, they are all extreme. Like, they're on alert for any orders that Farago is, get, is going to mm-hmm. give. 
Like, they, they may be, like, quote-unquote relaxed, but their ears are, like, open, and they're waiting, because if they don't, then Farago will just fucking kill them. Yeah. Like, there's a really great moment later on. I'm gonna read about that, but, um... So, we have Deathbrush the Fox and his tracking rats, who returned to Farago's camp. He was ordered to bring back Dinjai and Thura, who are two deserters. But he lost track lost their track, and chose to come back to report to Farago instead of getting lost in strange lands. The weasel, in- the weasel interrogates him calmly and coolly, a hand on his dagger the whole time. He does decide the fox has made the right choice, but after a rest, he'll be turning right back around, won't he? And he won't be back until he brings the deserted pair back alive or dead, won't he? Deathbrush agrees, grateful to get out of the encounter alive, and just like, I like this. I love this. Yeah. It's so good. These these are my favorite kinds of villains when Brian writes them like this. Like, um, Slagar was like this just a little bit. Like, except Slagar was definitely more uh, feral yeah. in his there, This attitude. is a lot more controlled. Mm-hmm. This is like, controlled in a similar way to, like, the way that Clooney was cunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got, like, Slagar's silver tongue. Exactly. Like if this, if Slagger and Clooney, like if Slagger had the confidence, if Slagger and, ruling... and Clooney had a baby, yeah, <laughs> crack ship, give us your fic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, got a really quick just call out. Uh, my friend Sullivan, uh, Sully's fan art for of uh, uh, Slagger the Cruel. Oh uh, which yeah, we that retweeted was nice. to the Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Sully listens to our podcast, but I did let him know that it exists, so he might start listening to it. <laughs> and when he gets to this episode, hey, hey Sully, I love you. <laughs> Everybody go look at our Twitter at that fan art. It's really good. Our intro to the Abbey in this book is on a hot, lazy summer day. Even a trout in the pond can only half-heartedly make a leap at a gnat to the amusement of two moles. Herbert Durr, quaint mole speech. Brian, please, we've gone over this. <laughs> Burley, the smaller of the two, comments he'd be lazy too if he were stuck in a pond with nothing to do. The pair carry on into the abbey, musing on the easy life of pond trout. We then Which meet pond Mrs. Trout wasn't the fish that used to be in the pond, was it? It was grayling. Well, they have several different types of fish in the pond. Um, there's grayling. Grayling, grayling there's was trout. when Redwall happened, and Redwall mm-hmm. happened after this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get a feeling that, like, they mentioned that they will try to fish certain fish so one population doesn't take over the other. Because in a, like, as big as they imply the pond is, there will be several layers, like, several different layers of types of fish. Yeah. You know, I don't you'll understand have anything about man-made ponds. I mean, this isn't exactly... Well, technically, it's not man-made at all. Um, Shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mouse-made ponds, then, (laughs) motherfucker. Um, Every pony happy now? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, before I make Izzy angrier. (laughs) Mrs. Faith Spinney, a hedgehog lady is in the orchards dutifully bringing in fruit. Just as she reaches for a lovely green apple, an arrow knocks the fruit clean from the tree away from her paws. I love the like, little bit of like... Like, just inches away from her paw. I love the little automatopoeia here. The zip! Splot! 
hollering bloody murders. She's rescued by a big brawny otter. When are they not big and brawny? Named Thrug. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Am it's I wrong? when they're otter marms. Uh huh. Though he didn't or see babies, who shot... in which case they're fat. <laughs> yeah. Though he didn't see who shot the arrow, he's a good. He's got a good hunch who did. He escorts the shaken Miss Faith Spinney into the abbey. I think it's supposed to be Miss Faith Some... Spiny. Spinny. But she's a hedgehog. Yeah, but it's spelled spinny. No. Spine. Oh. Yeah, spiny. I think it could be either because, like... I I took it as spinny because that's more like an actual English last name, like spinny or spinner. At what Um, point have they ever had actual English last names? I mean, they've kind of played off the concept of them. But they're all, like, nature-based or based on the fact that they're... She's a hedgehog. Yeah, all right, spiny. Like, quill. Yeah, well, fine, fine, spiny. Miss Faith, spiny. You happy now? Why is her name Faith? She's got, like, the only normal name in this entire... Faith in what? Faith in what, Brian? Who are they worshipping, Brian? What religion is this, Brian? Brian? (laughs) Where's their holy writ, Brian? Their holy writ is that tapestry... And the Joseph, the, also Joseph and Mariel had like normal names. Yeah, but like I'm talking about like this book specifically. Like this, yeah, that's Faith fair. has the only normal name in this entire book so far. The Abbess Although, has a normal name. Agnes has a normal name, and we have Nos 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 Nosterium. Little Nos Lady Nosterium, which is. <laughs> <a sign. laughs> oh, no, <laughs> incorrect. <laughs> She is not gonna just lap dance the fucking <laughs> devil to death. I mean, she is a good singer, though. <laughs> no, don't do this to her. <laughs> anyway. Oh my god. Kit, what the fuck are you on today? It's it's the evening. You, I don't know. I got, I woke up late, I got up late, I had breakfast, and I was like, after breakfast, I was like, I am full of spit and vinegar today, watch out world. Beans! Um, summer tea is shared by all in the great hall. Abbas Vale, the successor to Abbot Saxtus, sits in the large badger chair at the head of the table. Remember everybody, Saxtus was from the last book. Uh-huh. So this is in a direct sequence. Mm-hmm. And since Mellis had passed seasons ago, there had yet to be a badger lady to replace her. She fucking lived for so long! I'm so proud of her. She's spoken to by an old squirrel, Bremen. He asks her if Thrug had told her of a prank a squirrel named Samkim had pulled. She has, but wishes to have him do the scolding. He's a fellow squirrel, and she hasn't the heart to do it herself. As the meal is being cleared out and the people prep to leave the table, Bremen catches their attention. He asks, who had shot the arrow in the orchard? Like he has to it ver- in his paw and is like holding it up. Mm-hmm. To very few creatures' surprise, two step forward, Sam Kim and Arula. Sam Kim has no shame for what he did, but Arula, a mole, has her eyes downcast. They Sam are Kim both says, dressed up like little Robin Hood ass motherfuckers. Uh huh. It's so like cute. they've got the little like uh jerkins and they've got the little like hat okay. with the feather in it, and it's it's so fucking cute that they have matching go. outfits. 
The young squirrel Sam Kim was a strongly built fellow, wearing a beret sprouting a wren feather at a jaunty angle. Straightening his soft green cloth tunic, he strode up to the long table, unable to extinguish the roguish twinkle in his eyes. His hazel eyes. Arula, the young mole, padded alongside him. She, too, was clad in beret and tunic, though her small round eyes were downcast. Sam Kim's head was barely visible over the tabletop as he denounced himself to Bremen. <laughs> like, I, I, it's clearly we are meant to envision, like, a Robin Hood-esque figure. But, like, small. It's small. Like, so this like, is a kid. This is a kid. Yeah, this is, at, at <sighs> oldest, a young teen. Oh, I'm gonna have words about this later. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Kim says it was all him. Arula had no part in it. But she tries to say no, it was her. She'd asked him to fire the arrow. We learn of many such other incidents. Broken windows, arrows and doors. One brother who had a literal close shave with death. I swear to God. Bremen scolds him sharply. Does he not realize bow and arrows are not toys? Again, Abrilla protests it's her fault for asking him to shoot. Bremen brushes her aside, but does include her in the punishment as well, as he should. <laughs> Confinement to the infirmary to do all tasks given to them. They will sleep and eat there as well until deemed decent Redwallers again. He also tells Samkin if he hears of him being a paw length near a bow again, his situation will be dire. The pair accept the punishment contritely. He then it's, asks- it's, it's, It is a really like harsh punishment. Like, <laughs> but for the crime committed, like it's not that mm -mm. harsh because it's not like they're being- like put somewhere where like they don't have any sunlight they're not gonna yeah. have like, somebody else to talk to they're not being separated yeah like, they're gonna have good they're not, company yeah they're not being like you know beat or anything like that mm -hmm. which uh the fucking best case scenario is joe biden level ass shit here but you know oh. <laughs> i um. will always quote this bullshit it's great anyway um but you, like it, with all of the other things that was listed and this is like right the, the this is a fitting punishment like they should feel bad and they should be doing something to atone for this yeah and a bow and arrow is not a toy especially if you have it with a real arrow in it and not like something with a cork on the end right like so the reason we're going off on this is that bremen asks the abbess vale if she thinks he was too harsh and she says yes they're young, and such a confinement is hard on young things. And I'm like, Madam, this squirrel nearly killed two people playing around with a weapon, a real weapon. It is not a toy. And he has gotten lucky both times that that mouse and Mrs. Faith were not killed. Like, they need to get it through this squirrel's head. This is not a toy. You are not being a hero. You are putting people's lives in danger. And yeah, I we're, dis we have a very yeah. soft abbess here. I dislike it greatly. I I so I said that this is one of my favorite books, but that's because I remember very, very broad strokes of this book. Yeah. I don't remember all of the like minute details. So I it's hope like that she gets like not harder, but you know, she she wises mm -hmm. up to some shit. Yeah. Cause like I like Earthstripe. I like Farago, but like everything, every single time we've gone back to the Abbey, I'm just like, uh. like everything outside the Abbey, I'm 
fairly enjoying. But like every time we come back to the Abbey, I'm just like, oh no. Bremen and Abbas Vale are both proud of Arula's bravery and their courage and honesty. Because like, even if they, like, I'm mad at them and I think they should be punished, but the kids also both acknowledge like, yeah, we did wrong and we there's shot no the arrow. Else, yeah. And there's no one else to blame but them. Uh, those kind kinds of youths are not a bad foundation for the Abbey to be built upon. Yes, twas I who chopped down the cherry tree. Um, <laughs> twas I, Father, who chopped down the cherry tree. Except George Washington never fucking did that. <laughs> it's a propaganda story! <laughs> in, the, in the infirmary, we meet the cheerful old Hollyberry, who is a squirrel? No. <laughs> I didn't actually pay attention to that. They actually mention, they don't mention it for a bit, Brother Hollyberry... Hollyberry. Oh, nope, he's a mouse. Okay. Okay, that he's makes sense. Um, so we meet the cheerful old Hollyberry, a mouse. He tells the kids of all the work they have to do and how they were getting off easy. If there had been a badger running the infirmary, their punishment would be severe indeed. And I do like these little, like how they keep making little asides of how the Abbey doesn't feel right without a badger like there needs to be a badger here but there isn't so like there's just oh you know what maybe that's why things are off there's no badger there's no one to help balance out the abbess it's also setting up for Mm -hmm. the inevitable like Mara's gonna become the new badger mom yeah okay but it okay their punishment would have been severe indeed but it can all wait until tomorrow. Until then, there's games in the cupboard and a hidden stash of candied chestnuts. Which, <laughs> sir! <laughs> no! They almost killed two people! Almost killed two people! Make them scrub at least the floors! Do some laundry! Something! They thank him and ask if he ever got into trouble as a divin. And he says, oh yes, he used to be Hollyberry the Horrible. I feel but like that's an exaggeration. I don't know, man. He's pretty lenient with these two. But now he's off to tend his herbs, and the pair promise to behave themselves. <laughs> you have a note that just says, I deeply dislike the chapter art here, yeek. Which, I... again, if the artist ever listens to us, we do like your artwork. There's just this very odd, like... Every now and then. I feel like there's like two different people drawing the artwork, but it is the same person every time yeah. it's just sometimes it's like we're gonna lean into the cartoonishness of it well it's just like the hare's head is massive and his paw is like i don't like that he, he doesn't look nails. like a hair no you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of like the early arthur books a little bit yeah a little bit a little bit anyway so speaking of we finally meet pickle folger and mara Pickle is lamenting the fact there's only one oat scone left, to which Mara calls him out, saying there had been four last night. He's gone and eaten the other three. No, no, he's gone and scoffed the other three, specifically. Because he's like, oh, you used the word scoffed. Nibbled daintily, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Scoffed? Did I hear you use expression scoffed? Oh, boon companion and playmate of my younger days. Nibbled daintily, picked idly at, maybe even mouthed a morsel or so, but scoffed? Never! 
So even as he protests in flower language, she splits the remaining one in half to share with him, in which I comment, you're too good for him, girl. Leave his ass in the woods and go home. She she calls him out as a scoffer, and he immediately scoffs his half of the scone. Uh Uh-huh. He muses that it'll take to nightfall to return to Salamandastron. And boy, will they be in for it when Earthstripe gets a hold of him. Them. Mara acts the typical teenager, grumbling how she doesn't want to go back to the gloomy place. Fulls of do's and don'ts. Isn't there a place she can just be free? <laughs> I want to I want to ride my horse, firing arrows <laughs> into the sunset. <laughs> my hair is ripping in the wind. <laughs> that movie, it's not a good movie, but it's got some really it's good parts. Good, it's not a good movie, my ass. All right. It's marginally. <laughs> It's um, one of the better ones, especially yeah. out of recent bullshit we've got. <laughs> hey, Encanto was good. Um, but that I, listen, Encanto was, Encanto was good. Okay, yes, you are correct. <laughs> Encanto was very good, but Encanto is an outlier. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. A cheerful voice says she should come with him. They do what they want. So she meets the dashingly dressed Klitsch. And again, I like that here's Brian showing that these weasels are both very handsome and good-looking animals. And his handsome. friend and his friend, a ferret named Gotha. They introduce themselves, saying they'd come from the south, and she says she's from Salamandastron. A little shy, all too aware of her humble and somewhat shabby clothes. He's yes. dressed very nicely. Yeah. Um here we go. Mara sized the pair up. The ferret was a shifty-looking creature, dressed in a long tunic that had obviously been cut down to fit him. He carried his spear and wore a dagger in the piece of rope that served him as a belt. The young weasel was a different matter altogether. His clothing fitted perfectly. He wore a smart yellow tunic, and on his woven belt hung a short sword, complete with case. He also sported a pair of thick white bone bracelets. All in all, he appeared quite dashing. Mara felt self-conscious. Both she and Pickle were clad in the homely sand-colored smocks worn by those who lived in Salamandastron. I like that, too. Just, like, further, like, making her aware of, like, her other status. Um, they introduce themselves, saying they'd come from the south. And she says she's from Salamandastron. Uh, I already read that. Okay. <laughs> he asks if she really doesn't want to go back home. Standing and dusting herself off, she says no. For all she moans, it's home. And what about them? Had they come alone? He says, yes, of course. And asked why they carry... Oh, And when asked why they carry such weapons, who allows it? He says, they do as they please. So thoroughly enchanted... No one can tell us what to do. We're right. just two scrappy young fellas. Just a just couple meandering of... meandering the countryside all alone. Nothing nothing untoward here, ma'am. Yeah, just We're a couple of... We're definitely not criminals. <laughs> <laughs> Which, at this point in the story, like, beyond knowing their names from mm-hmm. Farago's group, like, the way they're presented is, like, not in bad faith. Yeah. Because we're seeing them through Mara's eyes right now. Because Mara, thoroughly enchanted, accepts his offer to escort her back to Salamandastron, telling him all about her home. And she's like, oh, Mara, you poor silly young thing. Like, I really wish that we could have had, like, a setup 
for Klitsch to become a good guy, but we know that's not going to happen because he is a weasel and Brian doesn't let vermin be good guys. Yeah. They meet a lady hare, Windpaw, as they reach the mountain who, at night. Who is also not named after a plant. Nope. She's skulled. Well, the, the lady hares, they're usually a little looser on the naming convention, I've noticed, of being named after plants. What's Pickle's excuse? Yeah, well, I just hate him, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> they meet a lady hare, Windpaw, as they reach the mountain at nightfall. She scolds them gently and is a little dubious about the two new friends Mara has brought with her. But being kindly, she allows them inside and tells them the way to the wash basin, wash basin, basin? Basin? wash basin, basin? and basin? dining hall. I'm basin. sorry, everyone listening. Please don't mind my stumbling and stuttering. I haven't. I'm just gonna anything, mock but... you for it relentlessly. Well, uh, that's good because then whoever's listening can laugh. Oh, sorry. Speaking of, my friend Charles, um, they said that they love listening to me rant about books because when we're in calls and like when I'm doing my reading, I'll like rant about the books to Charles and like, everyone <laughs> in our calls. And Charles said, "Yeah, I can't listen to the podcast because it makes me sad when you can't respond back to me." Oh, the, the podcast ghost syndrome. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, <laughs> like, Charles, I love you so much. Um, <laughs> that is very good. <laughs> all four tuck into a delicious meal. The arrival of Earthstripe leads to a deeply tense moment. Mara and Pickle can't make eye contact with him, but he's more focused on Klitsch, who politely introduced himself and Earthstripe stares as if trying to recall a forgotten memory. It's those blue eyes. Pickle drops his spoon and it shakes Earthstripe out of his strange moment. He says in a terse tone that while in his mountain, they are guests. But come morning, they will be given provisions for travel and sent along. Sapwood keeps an eye on the pair, leading them to a bed changer. And ah, yes, honor culture. I love it. Um, like this is the moment I realized, oh, so the Badger Lords, they're like the pre-Norman honor culture that was in England before the Normans came and mucked everything up. All right. Because <laughs> like, because like, it's like you had pre-Rome. Then you as had long as you Rome. don't fuck with us. Right. Exactly. Fine. Just don't be a shithead in my house. Right. Because like, well, that's what honor culture is about. Um, so with honor culture, like you would go to like, say you would go to the king's table. Well, while you were at the king's table, you couldn't attack the king. You also couldn't attack any of the other men there because you were all guests under the Lord. And if you attacked one of the other guests, you were dishonoring the Lord, thus dishonoring yourself and everybody lost honor and everyone has a bad time. So it basically, it's an extreme case of like, if you mess up, everyone has to stay in the class for 10 more minutes. um god yeah but it was like it was their attempt to like not have to play wear guilds every other day because some guy was like hey you tried to take over my border stab at you um if you're gonna do that do it off my property exactly exactly that i'm not it's that if if you're gonna fight take it outside exactly so yes once the pair are gone earthstripe does indeed lay into her mara that is She'd been gone all day and now brought vermin to their sanctuary. They never travel alone. Where are the rest of their band? And Pickle tries to interject that, no, they were alone and from the Southwest and quite good company. And a sharp scold from Earthstripe sends Pickle scurrying to his room. And it's like, womp, womp, there it is. Nature over nurture. All vermin are scum. Never to be trusted. Which, given, like, 
the stuff that we know about, like, this still baffles me that this is something that Brian just continues to hammer into place in these books. Mm-hmm. It's based on everything that we, like, know about him and have read in interviews is that this does not seem like something that he would have believed. I, I do feel like some of the arguments you've made in earlier books is that because these books are for younger, like, he reads it's them. It's the black and white. Yeah. and But it still it still feels weird. Like, it, it does. It feels like this is antithetical. Feels bad, man. I mean, yeah, like, it, like, I do know that, like, in the Pearls of Luch, like, we do get to see vermin who are decent. I know in later books we're going to get to see some vermin who maybe not, who maybe aren't good guys, but they lament that maybe if I'd had a better a better chance in life, I'd have been a good person like you, kind of thing. Like they know that it like maybe their situation wasn't entirely their fault. They were just doing the best with what they had, you know. But, but not that this book. in these like yeah, we don't get a whole lot of that in these books, and it's just it's one of those things that again, it feels antithetical. It it feels bad to what like. Everything else that we're shown in these books, what we read about in, like, interviews from Brian, mm-hmm. and, like, what we know about him as a person, it just feels bad that this continues to be a trope that he hammers into place. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like reading it every time it happens in these books. And it's going to keep happening. And yeah. it's one of those things, like, as a kid, didn't notice it. We've said this before. As an adult, as an adult, we have learned those, you know, the gray areas. Yep. So Mara protests that not all vermin have to be evil. And sometimes she wishes she were dead rather than trapped in the mountain. Classic teenager vibes. Uh-huh. This is, seriously, this is a fucking teenager. It's just, I hate you, slams door. <laughs> I'm 16 years old. I'm not a child. Um... Honey. <laughs> us as adults in like late 20s early 30s like oh, <laughs> oh honey your brain oh, even your brain ain't even done cooking yet um, you are super a child he shows his love for her then using a kerchief to wipe away her tears and explain explain how their mountain was all that protected so many good beasts and that someday she might have to take over that duty and like i like him i like earthstripe so much he's trying so hard to be a good dad he even uses an old nickname for her brown eyes it's just brown eye okay brown eye she runs from the room in tears confused and wishing aloud she could just find a place where she was happy setting up that she's gonna become the next badger marm at redwall mm-hmm. greatly distressed earthstripe scours marks into the oak table with his claws Distracted by the return of Sapwood, we learn he's locked the vermin pair up for the night and posted two sentries. And I'm like, yes, I like it when you have like when Brian does show like military trained figures actually acting like military trained figures like they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, This cheers Earthstripe up a little and they share stories of other hairs, old battles and seasons past. And I really we get, like some other hairs mentioned like old Oxeye who yeah. is named after like, I think Oxeye daisies. Yeah. Uh, and what is the other one's name? Yeah. Big Oxeye is the guard. And I don't think they named the, uh, Oh, catkin. And yeah. Catkin. And catkins is another, is another plant mm-hmm. as is sapwood. Yeah. Just, I really like the relationship between Sapwood and Earthstripe. Like, I just like 
that it's not really, it's kind of master servant, but like Sapwood understanding that there's a lot of stress on Earthstripe's shoulders. It's Alfred, it's Alfred and Batman. Yes, there you go. <laughs> That's what it is. And, and like, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not like a huge DC fan, but I always love Alfred, so. We all love Alfred because he takes no shit. I even have a stuffed fox named after Alfred, who is probably about 13 or 14 years old now. <laughs> I got him at church camp. <laughs> I'm just always reminded, I think it's a piece of audio from uh, the Lego Batman movie, uh-huh. um, where it's like, <laughs> you might even you might even enjoy yourself. And it's just Batman going, no, 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 no. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is just, Lego Batman. <laughs> just ignore my terrible beatboxing. <laughs> Back in Farago's camp, the tired fetal does his best to stay alert and watch for Klitsch's return. Farago, meanwhile, has a former sea rat named Sikier telling the tale of Salamandastron. How it was ruled by a badger lord, protected by fighting hares, and stocked full of treasure. Frogo has a hand on the rat's shoulder, and when he hears more of the supposed treasure, digs his claws in. The rat cries out in pain, and he lets him go, apologizing. With a smile, he sends Sikir to join Fetal as a lookout. While the rat climbs up, he calls out to Fetal, who responds in an alert tone. Disappointed, Farago threatens the pair in his deceptively cheerful tone, then settles down to sleep, eyes half-lidded. And it's like, hey, Farago. Why do you want to kill your own men so badly? Like, we have well, so taken a very thing. sharp and abrupt turn to, like, the mooks are expendable and the villain right. wants to kill them for fun, for some here's, reason. Here's the thing. He hasn't killed any of his own men on screen yet, right? Not yet. He's seen that with the camera. No. He knows that just the threats will get his men to do what he wants because they know that he will. Yes, but he doesn't have to they're not expendable he doesn't need them but when they stop being like able to do what he needs them to do he will dispose of them and so they know that and they would rather push themselves to you know their Mm -hmm. limits than fall to his knife blade yeah so it's less like being expendable and killed for fun and more like you better do what I ask. Yeah. Or it's stabby time. Yeah, um, basically.
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast and want to help keep it going, please consider donating to our coffee, linked in the description below. Follow our Twitter and Tumblr at Abbey Archives and join our Discord. This podcast is part of Hearthside Enclave, and some other shows you might like are Hope's Hearth, a solar hope punk actual play podcast, and Post Apocalyptic News Radio, a Fallout inspired audio drama. <laughs>